1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Love that sound. This is a good one. Welcome, everybody, to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. This is your third January installment of the weekend recap and rant. So let's get to it. Uh, so, for the weekend of the 11th and 12th of January 2020, Saturday, didn't really do any outdoor activities, but I did go to the St. Paul Sportsman Show and uh, walked around, grabbed my uh, podcast equipment, and I uh, was looking for some guests and just seeing what's what's out there. Felt a little bad that I wasn't fishing. I mean, we got a tournament event coming up this Sunday and uh, on a hard lake, Clearwater Lake, and a lot of the guys were out there. I was seeing their posts on Facebook, uh, scouting it around. So I was like, Ugh. but part of having this brand, part of the full scale outdoors is uh, you got to network and you got to be there at these shows. So there it was. I got to say, I was kind of less than impressed with the show overall. Now, that might just be because my mindset is mostly on ice fishing and it definitely wasn't an ice fishing show. I mean, there was some stuff there, but this was more of a planning for the summertime event. So there was a lot of like, uh, well, tons of boats and RVs and trucks and, uh, like Canadian resorts were advertising, not a ton of like tackle, you know, equipment, stuff like that. It was mostly people booking trips and, and of course they had like this, uh, 
you know, there's a trout pond and they have this water skiing squirrel you can go check out. And this giant or a couple giant white-tailed deer actually you can go check out. Um, this was relatively small. wasn't that busy, although it was a pain in the ass trying to find parking. And as I'm trying to park for this thing, I'm like, well, maybe this is a bigger deal than I thought it was. And I found out later there was an Oprah event at the uh, same building at the uh, XL Energy Center in St. Paul there. So I'm pretty sure that was the parking issue, not the sportsman show. Um, however, I did get a great episode. And uh, I do want to issue an apology because I completely butchered my guest's name. <laughs> it was terrible. And uh, let's see if I can get it right this time. It's Hannes. Not Hans, but Hannes. Yes, so thank you for that, Hannes. I appreciate it. Uh, we had a great conversation about uh, African hunting and conservation if you have not yet listened to this that episode, please do so. Um, it I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed doing it. I actually already listened to it again. Like it was, it was just a great conversation, and uh, I learned some things. And it really kind of gave me it built on my perspective of African conservation, and um, it was that really kind of stretched my mind a little bit and. I was actually kind of surprised uh, some of the things that it brought up that I didn't really think of before um, in the way we look at how we utilize parts of game and what it means. Um, so I'm trying not – if, if it sounds like I'm being vague, I'm doing it on purpose because I want you to go listen to the episode because it's just really – I don't want – no spoilers. I, I Just go listen to it and uh, tell me what you think. I thought it was very thought-provoking. Um, so that was great. Um, I got to do that. And then I headed home and, uh, watched my Vikings get embarrassed by the 49ers. So that was not so cool. But Sunday we did leave early and we headed out to Clearwater. Joel and I, my partner in the tournament series, Minnesota made outdoors, um, to take on this lake and, uh, the reputation that this lake has for being a tough lake, let me tell you, is quite warranted. Um, there's a couple things that make it more difficult than it should be. It, it's a lake that sets up, it's very unique, actually. It's very deep, but then also very shallow. I mean, and it goes from shallow to very deep extremely fast. So, like, this little Goldilocks zone of, you know, where fish kind of want to be is it's kind of narrow i mean it's not um we still have a ton of lake to to look so maybe there's some some bigger flats areas that we haven't stumbled upon yet um we just have to drill a ton of holes but one of the huge hurdles to cross when scouting this lake is that the map at least on navionics is absolute horseshit it is not true at all you can be you can be in a spot where it says it's 5 feet and it's 25 feet. You can be a spot where it says it's 25 feet and it's 5 feet. There's just like, it, you know, you try to look for feeding flats and saddles and, you know, I don't. how do you go about scouting out a lake, trying to go off the map, like, well, let's go check out this area. It looks really good. And you get there and it's nothing. Like, it's literally nothing like the map says. Like, well, it's like, well, 
then you, you quickly lose trust in the map. You're like, well, I don't even know what to look for anymore. Like, this is, this is nearly impossible. And then so we used a satellite map, Google map, and thankfully the pictures are taken in the summertime, so you can actually see kind of some weed growth. So that helps uh, a little bit. You can kind of target on that. But, again, like I said, the way this lake goes from shallow to deep, it's just extremely, extremely difficult. So we covered uh, quite a bit of water and not seeing a ton of fish at all. Uh, we did find one good spot, and we fished it for a little bit, caught um, a couple of real nice um, bluegills. And they're like, all right, well, we can get gills here. Um, let's go find, hopefully find some crappies. And we punched out a basin, um, tried to find some roamers around there, um, did intercept some suspended fish, but couldn't really get them to bite to see what they were. Uh, they weren't very big marks, so I don't think even if they were crappies, it wouldn't be the ones that we're looking for. Um, we just kept going, man. We just kept punching fish and did a lot of camera work and uh, not really finding anything. And got towards the end of the day, starting to get, you know, lower light. And we're like, well, whatever. Let's go check out. Let's just go check out our spot that we know there's fish on. Let's fish for a little bit put the camera down, have some fun so we don't feel like a total failure for this day. And uh, lo and behold, some crappies showed up in that area and real nice crappies too. So maybe we can rely on that spot first thing in the morning. But that's, I mean, we have a spot. That's not good. We need more than a spot. So this weekend... I will be scouting, uh, unless he can somehow get out of work, Joel has to work Saturday, so I'll be scouting solo on Sunday. So hopefully in the tournament, or out Saturday, I'll be solo Saturday, and this, the tournament is Sunday. Um, so let's, uh, let's hope I find something, at least some additional spots that are somewhat similar to that one that, you know, because we, we were first flight in the last event. This one, we're the last flight to take off, so... It's very likely we go to our first prime spot and it's loaded up with people already. And then, then what, you know, or you go there, maybe it's not, but you go there and for a reason, the fish aren't there. I mean, this lake, I've heard that from multiple people, like even scouting this lake is difficult because if you find something, there's no guarantee they'll be in that same spot, you know, definitely a week beforehand. I mean, it's, I guess it's been, it's known to even let you down day to day. So it's. It's got a tough reputation so far. It seems to uh, be a legit reputation. However, we did find some. The fish we did find were very good fish. So uh, I think getting a full bag is what's going to be difficult. I'm not too concerned about the bluegills, but getting a full bag of crappies could be troublesome. But if you do get a full bag, there's going to be some big weights weighed this coming Sunday. That is my prediction. There's going to be some real good weights. And I think there's going to be a big drop-off. There's going to be a big cut between the people that come in with full bags and people that struggle. So, like, the list from weights to, you know, from top to bottom is going to be huge. Um, so I really hope we're in, the, in that upper one, obviously. Like, to keep it, you know, we want to to be top five this year if we can if we can do it and we just missed the mark 
at number six last event. So if we can get in that top five, keep in the running for team of the year, I'll feel pretty good. But we'll see. I got a lot of work to do yet in scouting. Hopefully we can find something good. <sighs> Wish us luck. And if you haven't done so already, uh, please go on to Facebook, Instagram, find Minnesota Made Outdoors and like so you'll get updates. They'll go live and you can watch the weigh-in. If you happen to be in the area, in the Clearwater Lake area, come on down, weigh-in, you know, 2.30. Come come watch it. It's pretty fun, actually. Um, it's nice to see these big bags and, you know, you get to talk to people and see how they're catching fish. So come join us. That'd be great. There it is. There is your recap. Um, nothing too uh, earth-shattering. Hopefully I have some great news for you next week's recap where I can announce that we've took first place. That would be awesome. But <laughs> I will not count my chickens before they hatch because I haven't found enough chickens. Anyways, for this week's rant. So there's there was a news story that I saw about um, the Grand Tetons were going to do a call or they were going to kill a bunch of mountain goats, which, okay, that in and of itself, you know, there would be something to talk about there. But the way they word it is what really got my mind spinning. And then I went down the rabbit hole last night and I just started reading article after article. What they were saying, they referred to them as an invasive species. Now, the, when I've read that, I was like, wow, wait, how how is a, a native North American animal also an invasive species? So their definition of that is, and is anything that is like um, introduced or the effects of man allowed them in... Um, so, you know, like a not natural migration, if you will. And yes, there are quite a few places uh, mountain goats were introduced or in some places reintroduced into prime habitat um, all over the Rocky Mountains. Uh, in Colorado, they actually, they introduced mountain goats to Colorado for the, for the exact purpose of hunting opportunities. And apparently at the time, it was against some uh, wildlife biologists' recommendations. They thought it would be um, too much pressure on the, you know, native grasses and shrubs and would be in direct competition with the bighorn sheep. And so what I found out when I went down this rabbit hole, um, to give a little bit of background or to give you an idea of where the national park system is coming from with this kill of all these mountain goats in the Grand Tetons. So they do compete. They don't necessarily eat the exact same things. They have a little bit of a, a varied diet where um, bighorn sheep are more grazers and mountain goats are more uh, browsers. So like deer eating like shrubs and more broadleaf plants and stuff like that. Um, but they do overlap and they're much more aggressive. Mountain goats are much more aggressive than bighorn sheep. So where they do cohabitate they kind of get the 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 sheep get bullied around on top of that they can also spread diseases to the bighorn sheep so bighorn sheep are pretty fragile and um so they're you know that's kind of a constant struggle with them and predators and trying to get their populations established and healthy 
So that's kind of where the park system is coming from. And why they called them invasive is because they, now they did migrate into the Grand Tetons by themselves, but where they migrated from, they were transplanted by man. So that's kind of by hard definition, they call them invasive species. Now, I kind of take issue with that a little bit. Well, kind of a lot of bit, because one of the weird things about people is that however we find something, you know, um, some adventurer or explorer stumbled upon this animal in 1880 or whatever the thing is. However we found that chunk of land and what's living on that land is how that piece of land should be for all time. But yet, nature is is constantly in flux. It's constantly changing. I mean, there are um, fossil records of mountain goats, or at least a, a sister species, subspecies of mountain goat, um, dating you know tens of thousands of years ago in the Rocky Mountains, in the lower, uh, you know, in Colorado, and so obviously something was here at some point in time. Mountain goats were here, and they probably shared this habitat with bighorn sheep back then. Now, maybe there was more predators or different predators, you know, the saber-toothed cats, and there was, you know, American lions, and, you know, there was all sorts of different things going on. So maybe, you know, more bears. So maybe higher predator levels kept mountain goat populations in check. That's very possible. Um, But it seems weird that they are just picking... Like they're protecting the bighorn sheep. That's their big. That's their big thing. So they're giving. They're literally choosing sides, you know. And in my opinion, it's like, well, if the mountain goats get in there and they're more successful, then they kind of get to be in there. I mean, that's kind of how nature works, right? I mean, I don't really understand. However, if we do want to manage them, I'm fine with that too. I mean, we manage animal populations of all kinds in all areas um, because of human habitat, you know, or um, not habitat, but um, our habits or our lifestyle kind of, you know, pushes wildlife to, you know, isolated zones and, you know, we have an impact the way we we farm and industry. And and so we kind of have to find this balance of how we interact with wildlife and how we live with wildlife. So, Obviously, I'm totally on board with managing that wildlife. And if a population is getting too high, then by all means, you should go in there and you should cull some animals. So what they're doing is they're shooting them out of helicopters and just leaving them lay, basically. They did say later, they're like, well, they'll allow some people to go in there and harvest the meat if they can get to it. But they're doing this right now. And where the goats live, it's nobody's getting up there. I mean, so this meat's just going to go to waste. I mean, I'm sure that some predators will find it and they'll love it, but it's, I just don't, I don't quite understand why they're doing it the way they're doing it. They said they're going to allow some ground hunters to, um, to help like next year, but this year they're not doing that. It's just going to be all aerial and they want to, they actually don't want, they want to eliminate them because of their invasive title. They don't even want them there at all. So they they want to take every last one of them off that mountainside. What I don't understand is why did we let it get this far? If we don't want to, if we don't want them there, we don't want them there in the numbers where they're going to threaten the bighorn sheep. 
instead of waiting till the numbers got so bad that we have to go in there with a helicopter and pay somebody, I'm guessing this isn't cheap, to go in there and, and gun all these animals down and just leave them to lay and leave them to rot, leave them to go to waste. Why haven't you had, you could have called on hunters, and I guarantee you, you would have a waiting list of people that would go out there and fill quotas. And, but don't treat it like a trophy hunt. You know, that's the other thing. It's like, <clears throat> I don't know if all states are this way. I assume they are. But, like, I think in Colorado, or it might have been Montana, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, whichever one this is, but, like, the to, for a, a resident tag for a mountain goat is, like, 200 bucks. It's over $2,000 for a non-resident. I think it might be $300 and $2,200 or something like that. Um, but that's, I mean, great that you're you're allowing residents to relatively cheaply go get them. But I still think you'd be better off. I mean, you charge a hundred bucks, and you'll have even that many more people going out to to harvest these animals with no, you know, horn restrictions. No, I mean, if really what you're doing is trying to take as many animals as you, out, there should it should be just free reign. You know, it's like here in Minnesota. We'll get certain lakes where the, the carp are overpopulated and they need to kill the whole lake and they use retinine to, to kill the lake, usually in the wintertime. Um, so what they'll do is they'll liberalize the fishing before that. You know, they'll have a date that they're going to um, kill the lake off. Up until then, it's no holds barred, no rules. Go in there, keep as many fish as you want of any size. It doesn't matter because they're all going to die anyways. It's a waste, right? So why don't they do something like that with the mountain goats? It, it, it's a no-brainer to me. But over the years, the national park system has really taken on this kind of anti-hunter sentiment. They don't want hunting. And it doesn't make... It, it's it's so irrational that they, they refuse to take in money to have this problem fixed for you. And they're so willing to spend money, a lot of money, to still kill animals. That's the thing. These animals are still dying. I don't, I, this this makes, oh, it just hurts my head when I think about it. The other thing that most of these articles just breeze right past um, that I think needs to be brought up is what's pressuring, what's also pressuring some of these bighorn sheep to move out of this, you know, certain habitat and then the mountain goats fill that void in are backcountry skiers the ones they drop into helicopters and you know so there's a lot of that going on and it's that pressure that's pushing these big horns out now there's two problems with that that in my opinion um as far as i know none of the skiing equipment is taxed to go back into habitat unlike most hunting equipment guns ammo sales um so why you know there needs to be some sort of fee. If they're going to be utilizing that country, that part of the country, that backcountry areas, they need to be supporting it financially. You know, and maybe that's a surcharge on the helicopter ride up there to get dropped up. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really seem to make much sense if you're going to, you know, to be on all downhill, you know, tax on all downhill skis. Because what if you're just, you know, right here in the metro area on some little hill you want to go skiing? You know, is it? Should you have to pay for, you know, a mountainside in the Grand Tetons? 
and I get that. However, we do with the Robert Pittman. Oh my God, I can't talk. <laughs> that act, <laughs> the um, Roberts Pittman Act. All of our hunting stuff is taxed, and our guns and our ammo. Now it doesn't matter if you are just shooting in your backyard; you still have to pay that tax. So maybe I maybe I take that back. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it should just be on all downhill skis. Screw it. Everybody likes wild areas, right? Why not? Why not just do it? I mean, it's your taxpayer. It's tax money, anyways. That's going these that are funding these parks, um, and they're using helicopters to shoot them down. So what's the difference? You know, at least this is a direct. It goes back into what you want to use it for, or potentially use it for. I mean, I don't know that I'll ever make it out to the Grand Tetons to do any sort of hunt, but I have no problem with my tax dollars from hunting equipment going there and helping it out. I'm totally okay with that. I just I feel like across the board you know and we did talk about this a little bit in the the african episode that i just had where there's obviously this is nothing new there's an anti-hunting sentiment and we're fighting that battle and when it has actually infiltrated like the park system and we're counting on wildlife biologists to do the right and scientific thing and how they can just ignore or straight up um, fight against the best management tool that they have, the most the f- most fiscally responsible management tool that they have in hunting. Why not just do that? It, it's a no-brainer to me. Um, and I don't know how we fix it other than, you know, keep the dialogue going and let your elected officials know, you know, write a letter to the National Park System and let them know. Send them an email and Find them on Facebook. You know, I some of these parks, I'm sure, have Facebook pages. Send them a message. Light them up. Why not? I mean, they do it to us. You know, someone gets all pissed off. You're holding a deer or whatever. Um, they ain't afraid to to air out their opinions on social media. Maybe we need to kind of fight back with that. But if we're gonna do that, this is a this is important though. And because and I've touched on this in the past. If you're going to do that, though, don't be derogatory and inflammatory and don't be a D-bag. You know, make sure you choose your words carefully. Be polite. You can be stern, but still be polite. And ask, and just ask them. Put it back on them. Why aren't you doing this? You know, why are we paying to have this done when it could be paid for by volunteer people that willing to put their hard-earned money, you know, instead of, using tax money it just doesn't make any sense and i don't know i'm kind of like let it let nature take its course a little bit i mean if the mountain goats are great and the bighorn sheep are not so great well they don't get to live on that hillside i guess i don't know maybe i maybe that's not the right way to think but i just don't agree with this you take a snapshot in time of nature and that's how it should always be i mean that's just really not how it is you know, if we look at here in Minnesota, or I guess technically Michigan, Isle, Ra- Isle Royal in Lake Superior, there we're constantly meddling with the wolves and the moose on that island. Because when we found it, there was wolves and moose on that island. But talking to other wildlife biologists, it appears that that ebbs and flows. You know, you get the cold years where... The ice is thick enough for travel. A lot of the wolves will just leave the island, and sometimes new wolves come out there. And you know, they get out there, they find this 
this island filled with moose with no predators. They go wild. They eat as much as they can. They knock the wolf numbers down. Now there's not enough, or the moose numbers down. There's not enough moose for the wolves. They either die off or they, you know, the moment it freezes, they boogie on out and they go find greener pastures somewhere else with, with more game to eat. And then all of a sudden, the moose that are left on that island don't have predators again, and the cycle just repeats itself. But because we found that island in a time that had both wolves and moose, that's just how we assume it should always be. And so we're going out of our way to, or like, the last wolf left, like, a year ago or whatever it was, so now we're bringing more wolves in. It's like, what can't we just let it be? I mean, it's it's been taking care of itself way before we got there, and who knows how much money we're wasting on that? You know, like, it's just, uh, it, I don't I don't get it. I, maybe that's just me. I don't know. I don't understand. I'm, I'm kind of one to, if you kind of back out, especially on an area like Isle Royale where it's completely isolated and it's not really impacted by man's activity, just let it be. And it, whatever it becomes is what it becomes. That's nature. Nature doesn't work on a schedule. It's constantly changing, constantly changing. I mean, that is Darwinism in action. You know, if you have to adapt. You adapt to survive or you don't survive. That's how it works. Yeah, so there it is. There is my rant, everybody. I appreciate you listening. Again, please uh, message me if you would like me to talk about a certain subject or try to get on a certain guest if there's somebody you would like me to talk to. Please let me know. Facebook, Full Scale Outdoors, um, Dale Luganville on Facebook, on Instagram, it's Full Scales under Full Scale underscore Outdoors. Good Lord, I got mush mouth today. And on Dale Luganville on Snapchat, and oh, on the Go Wild app. If you haven't done that, and I'll get paid for this. I just really like the Go Wild app. So download the Go Wild app. Find me on there. Follow me on there. It's one more way. And if you would, please, 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 do me a big favor. And share these episodes on your timeline or tag some people that you think would like it. Um, It does so much for me, and I truly appreciate it. And if you can, especially, I know some apps, you can't do this, but on the Apple app, you can like, rate, and review, or not like, rate and review it. Um, Give me a five-star rating. Leave me a review. It really helps suggest it for other people. You know, if you're looking for outdoor content, that this is kind of how their algorithms work. So I'm relying on you guys um, to kind of help me out with that. I really appreciate those that have subscribed. I'm getting great feedback, and I honestly cannot thank you guys enough. We are trending in the right direction. Let's just keep the train rolling. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning into the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. And whatever your passion, pursue that full scale. Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.